Gen X Playback, episode number 28. And welcome to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are listening to none other than Morris Day and the Time. Way, way back in the Purple Rain soundtrack and movie. Well, not the soundtrack, because Prince did the soundtrack. But one of the highlights, I thought, of the Purple Rain movie. But they hail from another, none other than... Uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis, Minnesota. We want to welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Gen X Playback Show and uh, the great state of Minnesota, well represented by the uh, city of Minneapolis. And what a, you know, when you go back and look at some of the bands that have come out of the Minneapolis area, it's, it's pretty hardy. I mean, obviously Prince is the first one that comes to mind, but I think when you and I saw the movie Purple Rain, we probably came out of that liking the time probably a little bit more than than prince at that particular time now going into the movie were you aware of morris morris today in the time i was not yes yeah see, i was a little bit and you know he was he was somebody that would pop up on i remember casey Kasem's television show that he had you know he'd do that top 10 show but then he'd also kind of do the r&b soul charts and i remember he showed a video for the time and it was for the song cool Okay, and I thought I really like that. Okay, so you are, you at least had some familiarity. I, I, with that. I, you know, I didn't know a lot about him, but I know a little bit. Okay, yeah, I just they only did two songs in the movie, and but I think there was those were my two favorite songs in the movie. They just seemed like such a fun band, like a like a great band to go see live. See him jumping around, and obviously Morris, and then his friend Jerome that would come out on stage mm-hmm. with them, and th- it's, that's all he was. I mean, he he really didn't participate in any singing. He wasn't a, a, a musician. He was just Morris's friend, and kind of helped the band out behind the scenes. And that was their thing. They would come out, and they would just have a good time out on the stage. But did you, did you ever hear the story about the mirror? How that became part of the act? Um, I have heard it, but I can't think about yeah, it. Yeah, right it's so. from what I understand. You know, they were in their rehearsal space. And they're, you know, kind of, you know, goofing around and, and practice as they're practicing. And in the middle of playing, Jerome thought it'd be funny just to kind of like pick up a mirror and go and, and start doing it with him. And, and everybody started dying laughing. So they said, we got to put this in the stage show. And as a result, it's one of the signature uh, parts, I think, of Morris Day and the Time. It's it's the interaction between Morris Day and Jerome on stage. Yeah. And Morris, in, in the movie, his character obviously oozed charisma he's just kind of a fun loving guy he's how do you describe it he's like one of your friends or somebody that you knew from high school that was so over the top arrogant but yet was so charming yeah was so charming yeah and i think just about you i know you had friends that were kind of like that i had friends that were kind of like that they were you know if you didn't know him better like i could see why maybe why uh you know when we ran into other kids from other schools why they wanted to fight us (laughs) um but it was it was just you know they were so over the top you know they had so much self-confidence but yet they they were so charming also and i think that was morris day yeah and then you throw in jimmy jam and terry lewis who are also members of the time so you know it's definitely some 
some uh, powerful musicians certainly came out of that one band. Yeah, and not only we we had mentioned in, in previous in a previous episode the band Ready for the World, they came from Minneapolis, not in that same musical format or that same you know where it's R and B kind of dance. Well, you talk about dance music, but Information Society, which came out in the later eighties, mm-hmm. they were they were from Minneapolis. So Minneapolis has, has a pretty good heritage there for eighties, you know, Gen X music from from that time period. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one of these days we uh, we we can do the uh, the Purple Rain soundtrack and break that one down because because tonight we are going to actually break down a, a classic Gen X movie, which is going to be The Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. And what and the most prominent parts of that movie is the soundtrack that eventually was released. So, um, you know, not not to not to interrupt too soon with that, Scott. No, but that's you know, it, I could see you know down the road maybe doing something like that because, you know, for me, Purple Rain was one of the the quintessential uh, soundtracks of the 1980s. Yeah, certainly it was it was iconic because it still is talked about even to this day. Uh, the name Prince, and I debated about playing a prince song but i thought you know what let's go let's let's dial it back a little bit go back to the to the mid 80s because the time they deserve their their time sure, in sunlight absolutely. as well yep and um so i thought you know prince is is the one member you know one person from minneapolis that every you know when you think minneapolis music you kind of think of of prince rogers nelson but i i thought you know there were some other bands out there that, that were pretty good also and I do remember after the movie Purple Rain came out, it was almost unanimous, whether it was people that I knew that saw the movie or watching reviews or people, you know, on television discussing it. it everyone said Morris stole the show. He jumped off the screen for a guy that Prince and Morris had no acting background. But Morris certainly took to the camera a lot, a lot more than what Prince did. Prince, now his character was playing a very subdued individual, kind of a tortured kind of, soul. Kind of like Prince? In real life, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Morris Day was just, you know, very effervescent, and bo- you know, um, just just a joy to watch. And, and they had fun. You could tell they were having fun, especially when him and Jerome were kind of doing their back and forth thing where they're doing the, it was kind of like uh, Abbott and Costello, who's on first, where they're like going, what? Who? What? And they just kept going back and forth. And... Uh, you know, the, to me, that was it was a funny part of the movie. No, but, I, yeah, sure. So, let's get off Purple Rain and and let's talk about what what Sean wanted to focus on in in this particular episode and uh, the 1998 movie, The Wedding Singer, starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, and a fun movie to close out the decade and really gave people an appreciation and, and kind of drew the 80s back into the consciousness. For a lot of us Gen Xers, you know, the 80s have never really left. But I think we went quiet for a while. Sure. And you didn't really mention, you didn't talk of the 80s because we talked about the freight train of of music moving forward. And you didn't take a whole lot of looking back. You didn't take too many steps looking back. And this is one of those movies that kind of caused you to, to step back. And now Days and Confused came out in 1993, which is focused on the 70s. And this was really, you know, there weren't too many movies up to this point that really kind of glamorized the, uh, the, the that time period, which which is 1985. And one of the reasons why I thought of this movie was because you, you kind of get a twofer, right? So this is a Gen X movie. You know, this did come out in 1998, still part of the, uh, the Gen X era. But as Scott said, it's looking back to 1985 is when the movie is supposedly set. And... 
you you kind of for the first time you're starting to now feel comfortable with some nostalgia so i graduated from high school in 1987 this movie comes out in 1998 i've just had not too long before that my 10th year reunion mm-hmm. and for the first time with going back to reunions it's starting to feel like we're now kind of looking back to high school a little bit you know when you go to your first couple of reunions it's just like hey what do you, you know you're, you're going this different direction but at the 10th for the first time it seemed like oh remember the good old days back in high school and that's yeah. kind of what this movie was like sure and and for a lot of people you're 10 years out of high school and you're an adult i mean you're you're no longer in college uh, for for most although you and i went to college later in life but, right but you know for for the for the average class you know classmate that we graduate with from high school, you know, they have, you know, they're either well into their careers, they're uh, possibly married, have children, you know, it's like you're an adult now. And so at that, uh, you know, the famous song that came out in the, in the mid two thousands, um, uh, you know, the, the song about 1985, where the mom's looking back and thinking about the days that, that when she was happy and hot and, you know all those things and Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana. So it's it's kind of that that same. You're looking back and and thinking about now. Obviously, it's a love story, um, but if I think it focuses on a lot of good times in that time period. It does. It does. And you know, we discussed a little bit before we went on the air about the soundtrack and what a big deal the soundtrack was when it came out. It it. Um, it's kind of a large compilation of music, and it. Uh, you said that back during the wedding, your wedding DJing days, that that was kind of a must-have CD. It was. Um, now you're going back into the late '90s, so a lot of us DJs were. When I started in 1996, I actually was hauling around a a record player, a cassette deck, and a CD player, because you had and I had a minivan that I would go to do the weddings. And that the back of that minivan was jam packed with records, cassettes, and CDs, and that's how you did it back then. And somebody would request a song. You're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, you would remember it on a soundtrack, like Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. The Forrest Gump soundtrack was a great go-to. The uh, American Graffiti was a great go-to, and the Wedding Singer was a great go-to CD because. It had so many songs on from that time period, but not only that, but most of them are, are upbeat and and songs that you can dance to. That it a lot of times when people would request songs at weddings, I could find it on a couple of these compilation discs, and and the wedding singer was one of the big ones. And you know that's that's the other part of why I wanted to focus on on this is not only is it a movie from the Gen X era, but it's also a a very I think lovingly told story about 1980s music because in a way the music is as much a part of the movie as the actual story they really use it to tell the story right and robbie who is adam sandler's character uh, has a love for music as uh, which is obvious because he he's in a band you know he he had aspirations to be more than just a wedding singer when he was younger as we'll get into but Music has been kind of the framework of his adult life when the movie when the movie kicks off, and then it just happens to keep going all the way through. And nineteen ninety eight was a big year for Adam Sandler. So he releases the Wedding Singer in like February of of ninety eight, and then in the fall, November ish, he comes out with the Water Boy. 
So two of his biggest movies uh, can't come out in the same year. Uh, two of the movies that, you know, they're in heavy rotation still even today. If you're flipping through the cable channels, it, it, there's a good chance you're going to find one of those. Yeah, and it was a, a little bit of a change for Sandler. Now, I could I could see the connection from Billy Madison to Happy Gilmore to The Waterboy. I mean, to me, those movies all kind of tie together. Right. The Wedding Singer was a little different. He's not the goofy guy. No, he's not. And he was a little more subdued. And it was, I would say, Sandler in the 90s, whether you love or hate him, he was very much sketch comedy type movies, mm-hmm. which was all built around his days at Saturday Night Live. And But this was certainly more of a, of a more inclusive cast ensemble movie. You got a little bit more from the other characters as opposed to where he's he's up front and center like he is in all of his other movies. And in this movie, Drew Barrymore is as much a star of the film as what Adam Sandler is. Yeah, and I know I've heard some comments about if you look at her wardrobe, like she made no attempt to look like she was from like, even though uh, Christine Taylor, who uh, is Holly, is Holly, yeah. That she she's all decked out in in eighties uh, regalia, so it's just just funny that that Drew Barrymore um, that she decided to. I mean, she played it. She dressed like she probably did every day of the week. You yeah, know, and, before the and movie was made, didn't have the um, the big eighties hair, uh, much like Holly. Holly in the movie is the quintessential eighties uh, chick with her her kind of Madonna look and she's got the permed hair and it's big and it's poofy and then you have um, Julia mm-hmm. um, who's Drew Barrymore's character she kind of has a pretty short haircut and I, you know back in 1985 I don't know if she would have had that she went with the Dutch boy <laughs> kind of yeah sure Dutch boy hair yeah. you know there yeah. were some girls that might have had short hair like that they did yeah it was it was a thing in the in the early to mid 90s I remember all the uh, the the women on the show Melrose Place, uh, they cut their hair okay. all super short, and then um, Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston did it on Friends. They cut their hair short or got it shorter. Mm-hmm. So I, it was a thing. It was a thing to do back then. So it definitely kind of set the time period for her, right? But I th- also thought that you know Robbie Hart, who was Sandler's character, I. I love the hairdo that he had. It was it was perfectly it was perfectly eighties. I had that hairdo. What kinda, are you talking about? Kind of curly, a little bit long in the back. Yeah, and never hair out of place. But it was just kind of that that same kind of do that you saw so many times. But sure. Yeah, you're sure. right. I, I could see you. There was a time when I, when you look had a haircut very much like that. Sure. You know that that was to me some of the the best parts of the eighties was the the fashion that we talked about on a previous episode, and in that episode we mentioned the hair. And one of the reasons that I liked this movie so much when it first came out was not just for the for the um, the, the music. You know, the story is a good story. We'll get into that, but also for the hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because not only do we see see Robbie with with his perfect '80s haircut, but his buddy Sammy, yeah, is is totally is rocking the '80s look with the mustache and the and the big or the kind of the poofy hair, and they they do a great job with that. They do, yeah, they they really do. So why don't you go ahead and let's go ahead and get started. All right, well, let's get started, and as we we get into the movie, and you know, as I I mentioned, the the movie set in 1985. 
And we, um, it's in New Jersey in 1905. I forget the town that it was called, Springfield or something like that. <laughs> it's never really mentioned. It just flashes upon the screen at the very beginning of the movie. But as the movie begins and, the, and you start to see who's in the movie. Watch out, here I come. You hear the beginning of this song. And this, to me, the moment I heard this, this, this set the mood. And Sandler sings his own when he's up there. He's actually right. singing on the on the stage. Of course, this is you spin me round like a record from Dead or Alive. Now, as Scott says in the movie, you hear Adam Sandler singing. Right. And the, you know the the, the the movie starts where it's kind of he's not the focal point yet because it's the it's the crowd. Sure. It's the people out there on the dance floor and they're and they're dancing and having a good time. And at this point, he hasn't sung anything yet. It's just, you're just listening to this background music, and then you're seeing people dance on the dance floor, and you don't actually see Robbie until he opens his mouth for the first time. You know, one of my big takeaways from this opening montage that they give us of the wedding, where, you know, eventually we're going to hear Pete Burns come in and sing here from Dead or Alive, but when... Adam Sandler, as well, Robbie, I'm just going to call him Robbie for now on, but as Robbie starts to sing, you can tell he's directing the party. And it just seems like he has his act together. He is that the, the perfect MC where he's, he's organized a great party. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's on the dance floor, including little kids, sure. old, old folks. Everyone's out there having a great time. Right. Yeah, and... I think the the one thing that impressed me the most about Adam's wedding band, yeah, there's some pretty diverse characters. Okay, the drummer, the yeah. jumper looked like he was pushing about seventy years old. Yeah, yeah, but he was rocking it. I, I think one of the most memorable uh, parts about seeing the band for the first time is um, Alexis Arquette, who plays George. Sure. Uh, I. I I don't remember growing up with anybody that dressed like Boy George, <laughs> but you would see it on TV. Yeah. And I just thought it was a really funny kind of look back as to somebody that would have been like really obsessed with Boy George, and obviously George's character was. But you would get that. I mean, it, you, I don't know in our area you got that quite as much, but you definitely would get it where some people would be so into a certain type of music that they really would take on the look of the artist. Sure. You know, and we talked about that in, in fashion where Madonna, Madonna mania hit, you know, you mentioned Christine Taylor as Holly where she was every day. She was dressing like Madonna and there were girls that we knew that did that every single day. Sure. Now they, maybe they wouldn't do the complete outfit, mm -hmm. but they would do something, maybe the gloves or, or, you know, something with a bow in their hair but yeah, it, uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of the, the point of the movie is to exaggerate some of these things. Right. It's, it's kind of a caricature of, of the time and, and that, and that's fine. It, it was when they actually start out when, after he's done singing the song and, and everybody kind of settles down and then they do the toast. Sure. I think one of the funny things is you look at the bridal party and you see the bride's dress, which is all big and puffy. Yeah. And she's got the kind of the tiara, the, like the pearl tiara on top of her head. And, um, you know, you're going down the, the line. And the one buddy that is at, in uh, a lot of Adam Sandler's movies, 
Uh, Peter Dante. Peter Dante, yeah, because yeah. he's been in a lot of he, he's, he's been in, in like Water every Boy, movie, yeah. yeah. But he he actually has a like a non speaking part in this movie, but he's the buddy with the kind of the longer straight hair, but he's got that really big earring, that big gigantic earring. He's got his, a mustache. He's got big, the, got this you know long stubble. Hair. Yeah, and he's isn't he kind of giving the little kid something to drink? He's the one that gets him drunk. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, he's the one that. Uh, pl- um, yeah, the kid, the teenager that gets that yeah. gets drunk. So he actually is the one that has calls him over and, and gets him wasted. Right. So you know, as I say, you know, uh, Robbie is is has the crowd going. He's there. Everybody's responsive to him. He's he's the life of the party. And then it comes time for the toast. And then uh, to come up and give the toast, um, you know, much like at your wedding when I gave the uh, the toast. You know, you sometimes the brother will have another brother come up there. But most people don't have a brother that is like Steve Buscemi in this role when he gets up there. You'd be surprised. Really? Now, obviously, he, like like you said, it's kind of an over-the-top portrayal of, of what these how people behave at weddings. Right. You'd be amazed what I've seen at weddings. I've, I've been often astonished myself at what I see at weddings. Not so much the fact that he was, you know, he kind of went really overboard, but I have seen many a drunk best man give a toast <laughs> that is rambling and incoherent yeah and a lot of times they're cursing and they are like they lose their thought they're trying to be funny but when you're trying to tell you know really joke you know crazy jokes at a toast right it doesn't go over well right it, it makes me think to the um the movie wedding crashers with owen wilson when they're they're crashing the movie uh, the uh, the reception and he gives the girl advice because she's going to give the toast. And he's like, don't be funny. Just be, just go straight to it and be sincere. And she goes and she tries to tell this inside joke. <laughs> and it's a stone silent room. And it's, there's truth to that. Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, you know, Bashemi's Bashemi's character, he's, he's going, he's off the rails. So Robbie kind of has to step in and save the day. Now, Bashemi's a great actor. Oh, he's great. Yeah, I mean, I love, so, I love so Steve Bashemi, um, and I think the character's name is David. And it's like only said in passing as as sandler kind of like introduces him to come up and give the toast and for those of you who, who i think most of you probably know steve buscemi i mean famous for the movie fargo he of course you know was in the sopranos i i recently just watched the entire series boardwalk empire mm-hmm. where he is the main character nucky thompson and just one of the really good actors that are out there and to go from kind of that type of tough guy serious gangster uh, actor to this complete loser of a of a brother giving the toast and he's up there hammered and he's he's got issues with their father yeah, and they're <laughs> yelling at each other yeah you know you're an idiot you know get off the stage and and yeah so he's, he's basically trying to he's yelling at mom and dad and so they're trying to get him away and then robbie has to step in right and is able to successfully as all good you know wedding coordinators slash singers slash djs would do is to get the riffraff off the stage, um, and that's what that's what he's able to do. And then he comes in and saves the day by finishing the toast, and he's talking about his upcoming marriage to Linda. Sure. And uh, when when the toast is over, everybody kind of goes, oh, and, and everybody's happy about it. And to me, what they're painting with that is much like the beginning, where Robbie ha- is in control. 
and he's the life of the party. Here he's the, the, the sage with the, with the words of wisdom. Everyone looks to him, and he really has his act together. That's kind of, to me, what's being portrayed. Yeah, like up to this point, he's, he's happy. You know, he's, he's very happy that... He's good at he's his good, job. He's good at his job. He's good at what he does, and that he's actually getting married uh, in a week. So they, uh, you know, him and his, his girlfriend, Linda, they've been together, I, I assume, for a long time. And that they, what do you say? I think at one point she said it was like seven years or something, something like, like that. that. Oh, and let, let me correct it because I did look at my notes here and I, I have Steve Buscemi's character written down as Harold. Um, well, is that right? what I have here, it says Steve Buscemi is David All right, Velch- then, Veltri. Then, then is David. Okay. Yeah. All yeah, right. David Veltri. Okay. Okay. So, um, we, after, after the toast gets saved, then we get introduced to one of the other main characters of the of, of the movie is Sammy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sammy is even as much of a stereotypical 80s character as you're going to find. Yeah, and it's played by Alan Covert, who has worked with Adam in just about all of Sandler's movies, whether he is on screen or behind the scenes producing. He's done some writing. He's one of those guys that, that Sandler seems to take with him no matter where he goes. And he's had some pretty awesomely memorable characters in all of Sandler's uh, movies. I, I would say in a lot of cases, he's usually the scene stealer. Yeah. You know, he was the caddy in happy Gilmore. Um, he played uh, the, the buck tooth uh, fan in the water boy. And he was, he's just been in pretty much everything that he's ever done. And it's just, you know, he's a good character actor and he was really good at saving. I, I, I found him to be kind of slimingly, charming you know as, as we talked about you know morris day in the time with morris being uh, you know over the top in love with himself but yet was charming you know sammy just has this kind of this charming quality to him because as uh, robbie says to him at the beginning of the movie that you're you want to be like arthur Fo- you want to be like fonzie sure and he's like yes i do well and i think that's a pretty good point is from the age what these guys are, right? So the, the the movie is set in 1985, but it's with Adam Sandler uh, at, at 30 years old, okay. you know, roughly, roughly 20s, early 30s. Right. And so it's kind of where these guys would have been. So if you think about those characters, they the the coolest guy that would have been out there during the, when they were growing up and when they were in high school would have been Fonzie. Sure. Yeah, because Happy Days would have been about 10 years before that. Yeah, so, you know, Sammy wants to be Fonzie. And, you know, we also, at the same time, are introduced to Julia. And as Sammy kind of points her out and, you know, has some has some rude things to say about her because, you know, Sammy's going to hit on every single woman. But now we get to see, you know, this new character that, that is introduced. And I, you know, when you're looking back in time, when you think about uh, Drew Barrymore, this was really... I think the the process of her comeback because she kind of got away from acting and when she because she had as a young younger kid you know preteen she was uh, dealing with alcohol addiction and even some drug addiction so she had to really climb back to get her career back we think of Drew Barrymore now is very successful sure back then Drew Barrymore you know hadn't gotten a lot of great parts in the in the 90s up to that point uh and this this movie kind of gave her some stability where she started getting better parts after this and then of course later on we see her in in a few more adam sandler movies uh what it's the 
is it 51st dates? 51st dates and blended. And blended. Um, because from the, the get-go, and we're going to find out later on, you know, when they actually do talk, there's this chemistry that is between the, the, the two actors. And it's, I think, you know, the way uh, the Julia character comes across has a lot to do with how we kind of perceive, or you know, Sandler in this movie. Because you talked about, you know, before in the, in the other movies, he's kind of a, a bit of a goofball. And here he's this sweet, kind of sensitive, charming character. And yeah. it, it, I think it's, it's a good fit for what we're going to see with Julia. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's easy to see why a guy like Robbie could fall for a girl like, like um, Julia. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that she's, she's very sweet. She's very cool. You know, she gets everything that he's into as well. So they have very similar interests. But she's just, uh, I think I think Drew does a real nice job of kind of making that that uh, character out there that it would, it's easy to see why, uh, you know, Robbie would have been attracted to Julia. And when we see her, we don't hear her right away, but we see her as kind of this, this flustered waitress uh, working the banquet hall for the wedding. And she at one point takes her tray and hits somebody in the head and, this 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 old guy grabs her butt as she walks by, and that you know it's she's kind of the scattered character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we go from uh, 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 Robbie talking to Sammy, and then we go into the kitchen. And I w- want to play a song here that was actually playing in the kitchen. See if you can remember this song. See if you can remember. <laughs> Because as those of you listening uh, will recall, the cook is fiddling with the radio until he comes upon this song. He's like, ah, the commissar. Yes, and the cook is Andre. And the actor, I guess you could call him an actor, is Robert Smigel, who worked with Sandler on, on SNL. Uh, Smigel, one of, the great, one of the great SNL writers of all time. He's uh, triumphed the insult comic yes, dog. Yes, he is. But every once in a while, he would he would give you these little nuggets on screen that show that he was he was a pretty good pretty good actor. But it, you know, he think about Tim Hurley who wrote stuff with Sandler, Bob Odenkirk who became Better Call Saul. I mean, a lot of these guys all worked together uh, on Saturday Night Live, and uh, you know, just to see him out there as Andre being being a goofy cook is kind of funny to see because. I knew who Smigel was when when this movie came out. So. And of course, Andre, the cook, has a uh, relaxed shirt on. Yes, and a boombox. And a boombox. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. That the fact that he's fiddling on the radio with the dial. That's right. And that we um, that he was able and he comes across the song. He's like, oh yeah. And, and it was just it was funny because I, I remember as a kid kind of messing around on the radio because you, you had to you had to search by the dial and you kind of had to tweak it to the left and to the right just to get the right frequency so you didn't get the static but there were probably for a lot of us there might have been about maybe i don't know any for, from three to six or seven radio stations that played a similar format in your in your area that you could kind of go across the dial and find so i i did that many times where where i'm, I'm just running the dial on the radio and then you kind of come across a song and mm-hmm. you stop right there especially if you get it early in the song that that was a good thing sure yeah yeah and so when we go into the kitchen we kind of see you know there's there's a conversation now between julia and holly mm-hmm. as they're they're you know kind of talking to the cook and uh you know discussing um the um uh 
the 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 upcoming wedding that you know Julia is going to be having, or not? She's ha- she's not she's engaged, and you know we we get come to find out that Julia is engaged, and there isn't hasn't a date hasn't been set yet, and this this guy that uh, this Glenn's been kind of stringing her along for a long time, and so we get a little bit of background. Uh, we go from the kitchen scene, and then we go out to the dumpster area, and once again we're going to see Cool Robbie. Robbie seems to be you know handling every situation because. He well, he's they're out there. They're in the reception hall. Oh wait, yeah. And he, but, sees, and he sees the kid. So after after Robbie saves the day with the toast, uh, you know, as I said, we go to the kitchen. We 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 see uh, you know Holly and Julia talk, but also when Robbie leaves the stage to take a break, he turns it over to his buddy George. <laughs> turns it over to George. That's right. And as we find out throughout the movie, George basically has one song he can sing, and it's this one. I think maybe the now Alexis Arquette does a nice job. I mean, obviously has a good voice. It's just great to see people's reaction <laughs> to their the wedding reception, and all of a sudden, you know, George is singing. Not really a wedding song, I don't think. Uh, you know, do you really want to hurt right, me? Right, right. But obviously, it's an homage to Boy George. And I think you've talked about before what our reaction was the first time we saw this video on MTV. I think stunned silence. Pretty much what they portrayed in the movie, I think, is what you and I were doing the day in our living room when we saw that. Yeah, and and in our defense, we weren't the most worldly of young lads back in the day. You know, we, we do have the largest podcast in SVPA broadcasting to a worldwide audience now now back then but in 1982 83 whenever we were seeing it and we're 14 year I'm 14 and you're 11 or whatever our ages were we'd never seen anyone that looked like Boy George absolutely not and so it was a little bit of an eye opener and I think for a lot of the people at the wedding reception, their reaction was the same. But so we we go from from listening to uh, to boy sing uh, or George sing, and then we go out to the dumpster, and we see that there's that young guy that um, had been given the alcohol early on, and now he is out of the dumpster puking his brains out. So the music's playing in the background because George is still singing. Mm-hmm. So Robbie, you know, very calmly takes him out there. And takes him over to the dumpster and lets the guy, lets the kid, you know, empty himself out because he's obviously ingested a lot of alcohol and is very sick. So he pretty much pukes it out into the dumpster. Mm -hmm. And this is where, at this particular point, Julia's witness to the whole thing. Right. And this is where they talk for the first time. It is. And, you know, once again, this is the third time we've seen Robbie where he's kind of smooth and has it under control. And, you know, he's got the great words of wisdom for the kid. He's he's you know, pretty responsible. You know, at some point, Steve Buscemi's character comes up again and is out of control. And um, Robbie kind of puts him off in a different direction, gets him away from the kid because, you know, the this David character is hammered. Yeah. And as he as he kind of walks away... He's got this funny little dance where he kind of like almost falls and he does this like wolf howl. Uh-huh. Yep. Ow-woo! Oh, <laughs> a wedding singer. Oh, It makes no sense, but it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's great because, it, like I said, as, as somebody who's been to a couple hundred weddings over the years, that they're, it's amazing how people can misbehave at a wedding reception. And that's why when, when Steve Buscemi's character, even like I said, even though it was a little bit over the top, 
there were many, many, many times, too many to count, where somebody had to be like removed or somebody had to be sat down or some, you know, it's just, it's, it just blew, blows you. You'd be very surprised how many times it actually does happen when, when, you know, things start getting out of control. And here, you know, Robbie's talking to Julia and he really seems like he has his act together. And at some point, you know, the music, as you just turn the music down on, on Boy George there in Culture Club, um, Robbie doesn't come back right away. And so George has to play that song a second time. And it gets to the point where uh, Sammy goes outside and tells Robbie he's got to get back in there because the crowd's starting to turn on George. They're turning on George. And they're booing him when Robbie comes walking <laughs> back in. Which is, But you know what? Hey, George is a trooper because he kept, on, he kept going. Oh, whether uh, whether they wanted it or not, he was going to finish that song. That's what you got to do. So anyways, then, then we kind of cut away from the wedding, and we go to uh, a scene where Robbie is giving singing lessons to this sweet old lady named Rosie. Mm-hmm. And Rosie is um, learning to sing because she wants to sing at her husband's 50th, at their 50th wedding anniversary. Right. And then we, we, you know, this turns out that this is one of Robbie's passions is, is giving singing lessons. And he's such a, a nice guy. And this is key. Money's not important to him. Right. So he allows her to pay him in meatballs. Yes. Now, the actress, her name is Ellen Albertini Dow. And she passed away back in 2015 at the age of 101. Mm-hmm. She's originally from actually about two hours north of here in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. And you know, you, Sean and I have been to Mount Carmel. We have. A very small coal region town. Hard to believe that somebody could come from a small town like that and actually be in movies. Um, but yet, l- little Ellen, who mm-hmm. ends up doing, doing a very memorable rap at the end of the, at the, end of the movie uh, from Mount Carmel. She's been in a lot of movies. You know, she, was in, she was in this, this particular movie. Uh, she, I think maybe one of the other ones that is most memorable was, um, the movie with Robin Williams, uh, doc, uh, patch Adams, where she played at one of his patients. So she was, she was in, uh, you know, quite a few movies, particularly at the end of her acting career, but she, she started in a very, very small town up in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. And for many years, one of the top football programs in the state of pennsylvania mm-hmm. for their for their size so uh, you know if, at least if you follow pennsylvania high school football you would be aware of mount carmel but probably outside of uh, that small little niche most people wouldn't have heard of it and i wasn't aware of it till you told me okay so yeah i mean that was kind of a, a neat little little nugget there so but anyways you know we get to see what a sweet lady that rosie is well it's, it's funny that you say about about her paying uh robbie and meatballs mm-hmm. that was actually a christmas tip from one of my water customers. Did, did she put it in your hand? It, it like wasn't. Rosie it, did. It wasn't. It wasn't meatballs. It was corned beef and cabbage. Okay. <laughs> but she didn't have. She didn't have any like Tupperware to put it. Which in. is in the movie. Rosie didn't have anything to give Robbie. Although um, my customer gave it to me, she put it in uh, the filters, like the coffee pot filters. Yeah. So that's what she put it on, and then she handed me these two piping hot uh, corned beef and cabbage. Uh, you know, and that she's like, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm on a fixed income. I can't give you anything <laughs> for Christmas. She's like, I just made these. They're really good. And she gave me corned beef and cabbage. And how was it? It was pretty good. Actually, yeah. it wasn't yeah. bad. I mean, she was a good cook. But. Yeah. Because in the scene, you know, uh, Rosie doesn't have any like, you know, 
you know, a bowl or anything to, right. to give Robbie. So she said, put out your hands, you know, two meatballs. So she puts a meatball in each hand and then she insists on watching him bite into it and eat it. And to, <laughs> so she can know how much he enjoys it. Right. And you don't really know if Robbie really likes it or not, or if he's just being super nice to her. But once again, we're kind of seeing his character a little bit where he is this guy that's got his act together. He's, he's, you know, everybody likes him. Yeah, he's he's a lovable guy. He's very well known in in the town, and he's you know it, it's easy to do so when you've grown up in a town your whole life. Right. So we cut from that. Robbie's on top of the world, and we go to his wedding. And I, I'm, I'm not going to play it right now, but we hear the orchestra playing "Journeys Don't Stop Believing," <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah, but, that, that. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And it looks like, you know, it's a nice wedding. Outdoor uh, wedding. Everybody, Everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Even Julia's there. She's part of the uh, serving staff. So she's there in, in a working capacity. But all of his friends and family are, are there. Um, you know, one thing that we did not mention that uh, hasn't come up yet in the movie is the fact that Robbie doesn't have parents. Right. So that, you know, essentially he grew up being raised by his older sister. And, and so he lives in the basement with, with, you know, his sister, her husband and their two kids. Right. So, you know, this is, this is a big moment for him. And so he's basically sharing with everybody that he knows at that particular time. And, you know, it's a very nice scene. Uh, You know, the music's playing in the background. He's standing up there with the pastor. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, his sister comes walking out from, from the side. Mm -hmm. And basically says she's not coming. You know, Linda... Uh, who Robbie's supposed to get married to, she's, you know, Robbie's like, is she all right? It's like, uh, yeah, she's all right, but she's not coming. And, you know, then we, he kind of goes into the little tent area where you would have, uh, you know, gotten ready, you got dressed and there's a mirror and all of a sudden the crowd hears him smash the mirror and just start freaking out. Poor George starts crying, gets all emotional. And for the first time, you know, we see Robbie lose it. He goes from being this completely in control character to now he is just, completely broken yeah because in in a matter of moments everything that he was looking forward to in his life kind of came to a crashing halt right and to kind of to tie that in together uh the movie does a good job of bringing in a song where kind of a wedding song (laughs) so they go back to the house they go back to the house and of course this is billy idol with white wedding right which is an anti-wedding song. Uh, yeah, it's very much a protest of wedding yeah, song. because Billy did not want to get married, so... Well, Billy this. wrote it for his sister, is what I, is what I heard. His sister he was going to get married. He thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, so he, he this was a mockery sure. of what she was, you know, the, the foolishness that she was going to get into. And this song's playing on the television. Yeah, it's on MTV yeah. and a little, little tiny white <laughs> TV, which you would have seen in many houses back in the day. It was he, kind of that oval... That oval screen? Yeah. Yeah. Because Robbie and Sammy and uh, uh, Robbie's brother-in-law are sitting at the kitchen table. Uh, you got to have your MTV on when you're sitting there sure. at the table. And the one nephew comes running up to him dressed as? Freddy Krueger. There you go. Yeah. And he would he was even addressed as Freddy Krueger. Because <laughs> yeah, right. he, he drew a picture of, of uh, Linda, Linda dying. Yeah, well, he like had like Satan horns on yeah. her. And it was uh, as something that a loving nephew would do. Sure. For, his, for their uncle. Yeah. But, so, this was, you know, White Wedding, this was one of the early MTV videos that we would have seen. Yes, this would have been 1982, 1983. 
And I believe that was one of the first videos that I remember watching when we got into right that 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 first day. You know, so as we've said many times, you you listen to music and it takes you right back to a moment. I I can't hear this song and not think of that first day when we got our MTV. That's right, sitting inside with this with a with a blizzard outside. <laughs> right. So, but here we're finding out that. Uh, a little bit where you know we, we have this scene here in the kitchen where the guys are kind of talking and they're starting to badmouth Linda a little bit and Robbie doesn't quite want to go there because as most of us know you know those out there in our audience know sometimes when you you talk bad about your friend's ex your friend gets back together with that ex <laughs> and then as as Robbie said you know then it's going to be all weird between us if you say that well I think at this particular point, you know, with, with Robbie, Robbie and Linda, I don't know if Robbie has given up on the relationship Mm-mm. yet. You know, he's basically, he's really expecting that he just wants to know why Linda didn't show up. And I think in the back of his mind, he's still holding out hope that it was, you know, just some kind of misunderstanding cold feet and, and that they're just going to, they're going to do it again. Right. Right. So, but a little later on, a few moments later, the next scene we go, Robbie's kind of sitting outside. It's nighttime and who wanders up but Linda. So we actually meet Linda for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen a picture of her having and we've we've heard him talk we've heard Robbie talk about Linda, but this is where we actually get to see Linda for the first time. Right. And we get to hear a little bit of their backstory and why Linda is no longer in love with Robbie, the wedding singer, but she was in love with Robbie 6 7 years prior to that when he from the way she described it, kind of did a David Lee Roth impersonation. Well, yeah, evidently he was in the band Final Warning, which is you <laughs> like, know, like which, fair warning, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah, it was fair, warning. fair I'm warning. That was my fault. So that was it was a Van Halen cover band, and that he no, that I think was, I think they did call it Final Warning. Did they call? it? I think they did. Okay, but they but you know the Van Halen album was Fair Warning, so sure. it was kind of a play, I, I think, on that. And then she talked about you know with the spandex and you know had a shirt unbuttoned, and then she even said it looked like David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's like, well, I, I still have the shirt. You know, I still have the pants. I could put them on. And so she, she's basically saying she woke up and, and realized that, you know, in, in her estimation that Robbie was going nowhere in life. And, and she tells him that. And she didn't want to go along for the ride. Right, right. That she, and he's like, well, it'd been nice to have known yesterday. And, but he, you know, and we kind of see that, you know, Robbie is now kind of face-to-face with, with reality a little bit where now Linda has broken up with him because she doesn't think he, he's going anywhere, that, right. that he's not going to amount to anything, where at one point she thought he was going to be, be this big rock star. Well, and I think there's a, a, an important part of the conversation where she says, I realize that we're never leaving Ridgefield, which is the town that they live in. And Robbie's like, why would you want to leave Ridgefield? It's a great town. It's a great place to raise a family. And it's just it's obvious that the two of them had very different paths that they were looking to go on in the next you know years of their life. And I think that's typical with some people. I mean, it's sure. there's there's always a group of people that uh, can't wait to get out of town. I mean, I'm sure you went to high school with people like that where sure couldn't wait to get to college, couldn't wait to leave this place. You know, I, I have a friend of mine, and and she ended up going to college out in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, well, why'd you go to Washington State? And so her her dad was a professor um, at, at a relatively local college, um, would have been in the Harrisburg area, mm-hmm. a Messiah College. And so because he was in, in the network, 
she could go to any college like within some network and she wanted to get whatever school was as far away from Pennsylvania as possible for no other reason sure no other reason but she literally picked went to the map and looked at the one that was the furthest away yeah I mean yes I do know people that have that have done that and I'm sure everybody listening knows people that have decided to bail out from from wherever it was that they grew up and for Sean and I not only for us but the many generations of highs that preceded us sure. have all somehow managed to stay within like a 30 mile area of Lancaster County. I or mean, even if you're like me and left for a little while, you come back again. Sure. I mean, and that's, you know, I think very, very common as well. You know, I talked about, you know, the, the people that want to leave, but then there is a core group and I'd say most people might fall into that category where, well, maybe maybe they don't fall to the category they they don't want to leave that they love it. Maybe someone some just don't think about it. it just mm. is what happens to them. But you know, Robbie's a guy where he wants to raise a family, and we kind of get the background as you had talked about where his parents died, and we find out that in the third grade his parents passed away, and that he basically has wanted to get married ever since the third grade. And Linda kind of alludes to that a little bit that maybe Robbie didn't really love her, but loved the idea of being married. That's what she accuses him of, yeah. Yeah, she said that, you know, you just, you've been so obsessed with getting married that it, it was going to be me or somebody else. Right. And so, you know, he, of course, denies that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's at that point that Linda, who's played by Angela Featherstone, doesn't, I mean, she's she's kind of a believable, kind of bratty, kind of, you know, I can see where the two of them could be together. And like I said about, you know, how Drew is kind of that, it's easy to see why Robbie would fall in love with somebody like Julia. It, it's you, you can kind of see it with Linda, how she, I can see that she's a little controlling and that, uh, you know, she's like, all right, I'm done with you. And she just walks away. And and she does. So now, I you know, Robbie is completely heart, heartbroken because now he knows it's it, it's over. It's done. Linda. Yeah. So we go to the next scene and we kind of leave Robbie. And we, we now get a little more backstory with Julia. Yeah. yeah. So now we meet now we meet Julia behind scenes. Right. She's now living with Holly. And this song is playing in the background as we transition to Julia's house. And we meet Glenn for the first time. Yes, we do. And so we start to get the, the backstory on Glenn is that Julia and Glenn have been together for a very long time. And that Glenn is a very successful uh, trader on Wall Street. So he's not he's, junk bonds. Don't call him junk bonds. Yeah. What did he? What did he call them? What did he refer them I to? I don't know. He had, he had high interest, high interest yield, high yield bonds, or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. And but he is, I guess he worked very hard, and now he's at the point where he's making a ton of money. It's 1985, and anybody that was dealing with the stock market back then was making a lot of money. Sure. It. You know, obviously this movie came out first, but it kind of reminded me of The Wolf of Wall Street a little okay. bit, if you saw that movie. Yes. Um, you know, the kind of the Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a little bit that way. He's He, he makes his start in junk bonds. Right. And, uh, you know, that when it was kind of the go, go, go 80s, there was a lot of money to be made. And right away we learn something about Glenn is that Glenn also has a go-to fashion. Which is the Don Johnson is Miami the, Vice look. That is the Don Johnson look. So he, every time he's wearing the jacket, the linen jacket, you know, the pastel colored shirts, and the, uh, you know, the, 
the pastel or the, the white loafers with no with no socks. The five o'clock shadow. Yep. So, uh, do we even say who this is? This is Nana with ninety nine loop balloons. Uh, yes. Um, but the the actor that plays Glenn Gulley is Matthew Glave, and hasn't really been in a whole lot of major movies. I mean, you see him here and there. Yeah. But this is really the movie that you remember him for, at least for me. I, it's the one and only one that I remember him okay. from. So we see uh, Glenn coming up, and he says, I have a CD player. And they're talking about CDs, although back then we didn't call them CDs. We called them compact discs. That was kind of like the one, I think, the one thing from the movie that I'm like, yeah, we didn't call them CDs back then. When they first came out, it was a compact disc. You didn't start calling them CDs until the later 80s into the early 90s. But that, that was one thing I, I I paid particular attention to things like that. It was like, uh, we didn't call them CDs. Right. And, well, you know, the one note that I have written down here about Glenn after watching the movie was a little bit of a douche. He is. Um, Glenn, again, has a very has a very high opinion of himself, but this is where other people would meet him and really not like him because he's he's got a very jerk quality. And he's a little condescending, you know, yes. even like with the whole CD thing. Yes. It's like, come on, in 1985, who had a CD player? Well, I think the reason that he, he bought it was because it was expensive. Sure. Now, I do, I, I do know people that when it comes to like electronics, that as soon as something comes out, you know, obviously when a new electronic comes out, it's brand new, it's super expensive. I remember uh, when VCRs were first being sold in the stores. I remember seeing them in the store for like a thousand bucks, twelve hundred dollars. It's like they were insanely expensive. And then uh, you know, as time wears on and it hits the market more, they become cheaper and cheaper, like TVs. Right. So if he's buying a compact disc player in 1985, he probably paid at least a thousand or two thousand dollars for. Well, it. I, to me, the main thing I was thinking was that he was kind of condescending towards Julia. About yes. it, where she thought it would play records, right? And she's she's like expressing interest in it. And you're right; he's he is talking down to her. Because how would she know? I mean, it, I don't know about you. When did you get your first CD player? The first CD player I got was in 1989. Okay, and I got yeah, that was that was uh, my yeah, birthday for 1989. Yeah, that's probably right around. It's like 89, 90. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I got one. Yeah, because I the first the first CD that was ever that I ever purchased or that was purchased for me was it's funny it wasn't even a current it was pyromania okay <laughs> um amy's stepdad steven right got that for me for my birthday and, and at that point you're like i wanted the newer Def Leppard. yeah i wasn't all that thrilled yeah. you know i was like because at that I mean, it's point it's very thoughtful it was and it was the better of the you know but hysteria was was out after that sure and i just remember going pyromania i'm a hysteria like, man like i i had the t- i had the cassette tape like six years ago <laughs> right right anyway right so uh, you know, we, we're going to, you know, th- I think that scene there just kind of setting the mood a little bit for, you know, the, the relationship between uh, Julia and Glenn. Then as we move to the next scene, and usually when we move to from scene to scene, we hear musical transitions. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing how, how many songs really get tossed out in this movie. It's almost like, you know your typical movie soundtrack you're talking about maybe anywhere from 10 to, to 12 songs right on a, on a movie soundtrack i mean you we were even talking about that before we we started recording you said there's 26 right on on this particular soundtrack right and so what we hear here 
with this song, you know, with which is Musical Youth. Everybody remember Musical Youth with Pass the Duchy? And Sammy is driving the limousine because yes. he's a limo driver. Yes. And he is playing this song and blaring it as he is um, checking in on what's happening with his buddy Robbie. Yes. And so at, at this point, they are, Robbie is in a huge depression. He hasn't left the basement, which is his, which is his, I guess you could call it apartment, living in the basement with his, uh, with his sister Kate and her husband, Andy. So he's down in the basement. Uh, it's dark. He hasn't left bed. So Sammy comes downstairs and he is going to check in on Robbie to make sure that he's all right. Robbie's sitting there in bed. Sammy lays down behind him. And I, I just thought it was funny because instead of like saying, hey, man, how are you doing? He's, he comments on how nice the sheets smell. Yeah, right. Which I thought was kind of funny. And then they have this discussion on different types. All temperature. All temperature, yeah. 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 yeah so, but, and here's a song that was playing when he's down in the basement, well, when they're having that conversation. And it's not on the soundtrack. So let's... And this is the cure with Boys Don't Cry. Yes. And say, and Robbie's down there crying, basically. Yes. That's right. Yeah, and, and Sammy's trying to, to kind of get his friend to come back to civilization because you know, it has been a period of time where he has just kind of dropped off the map and, and is feeling really sorry for himself, rightfully so. I mean, Linda had left him at the altar, but Sammy's now giving him some time to kind of mourn and now he's essentially saying, "Come on, Robbie, you need to get back. You need to get back into it again." Well, you you mentioned earlier that you know Robbie was well known in the town, and at the wedding he had a lot of those people there. It, it was a big wedding, which is great when you're celebrating a big event. However, when you have probably the most embarrassing thing that's ever going to happen to you happen in front of all those people, now the whole town knows, and everybody's aware that he's having this breakdown. Well, sure. I mean, there's no getting away from it. And I know for, for many people and, you know, when something, I guess, humiliating or embarrassing happens, you know, when you're in an area where you know everybody, it's, you, you can't get away from it. It's always going to be there. So he's going to have to, he's going to have to own up to it and just get back into it again. Although he's probably not ready to go back and start working weddings. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so they, he ends up getting propped up and going out and doing a wedding uh, much sooner than he probably should have. And this song is the first song that we, we see uh, and hear Robbie sing at the wedding. Although we're going to hear a very happy version of Madonna singing holiday yes. right now. That's not the version that you got in the movie. No, it's not. And you, you, you look at Robbie and he's on stage, hasn't shaved for you know how, whoever, however long. You know, he's unshaven. He's he's not dressed as as nicely as he was for the first wedding that we saw him in. He's he's definitely lost his edge, whatever charisma and charm that he had in the first wedding reception we see him in. Mm-hmm. He's now disheveled and is uh, he has already come unglued and he has not put the pieces back together yet. And it's, it's a pretty funny version. It is. That he does here. And he's, he's almost like, it's like this cry sing. Yes. That, that he's doing. <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> and as the uh, the father of the bride 
just keeps looking at him and burning up as he's seeing him. And how awesome was the dad's white tux? <laughs> I mean, just perfectly white with the with the bright red, you know, bow tie and cummerbund. I mean, come on, that was that just screamed night, you know, mid '80s. It did. It, my only regret is that, you know, I'm still in high school in the mid '80s, so I didn't go to a whole lot of weddings. Right. Because I would have loved to have seen a lot of that fashion. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it really does kind of make you laugh, but. That's that's what we wore at, in weddings and stuff back in the mid '80s. Yeah, so. yeah. Now it was bad enough when I was started to get in a bunch of weddings in the early '90s. Um, I, I think the 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 tuxes were a little more classic uh-huh. at that point, but man, our hairstyles certainly weren't. But you know, for the area, um, I can see where because Ridgefield is right out of right outside of New York City. It's kind of in the Newark area. And my my brother-in-law Colin lives out in that area, so you, you know it's 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 a little bit more than blue collar, but it's you know people are tough up there, as we're gonna see in a, in a, as the scene kind of plays out when when Robbie you know after he gets done singing his wonderful rendition of mm-hmm. Madonna, you know the the dad's getting angrier and angrier. He paid a and, lot of money. That's right, and you can see where he the, the dad's gets fed up, but you know we get we're getting to that point. And you know it should be noted that you know this is Cindy and Scott's wedding, so that they're they're having this 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 big momentous day, and and Robbie's just destroying it. That's right, that's right. And so you know he he kind of gives this little speech, and oh, the, it's a great speech. And the, and the dad yells at him again, and Robbie threatens him and says, "I have the microphone, and I'm going to say what I want to say, and if you you know try and stop me, I'm going to strangle you with the microphone cord." And so he he's he's got the at this point he's got the pulpit and everybody's paying attention to it. Well, and then he starts talking about basically how terrible love is, right? And how he you know he goes around the room and mentions people that are never going to experience love, particularly those at table nine. <laughs> yeah, he was so it was fatty, you know the the guy who's just chowing down. Yep. And he's like, you know, he's probably going to have a heart attack if we don't soon cut the cake. And the guy like goes, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's the uh, lady with the sideburns. Yep. And then it's everyone at uh, Table Nine. Yep, that was yeah, that was great. And as he later refers to them as the mutants at Table Nine, <laughs> right? So when he's finally done with his speech, we hear him break into this song. It's Scott and Cindy's wedding. Whoop to do. Whoopee! I will give it to him, though. He, give, he puts it all into it. Puts it all into the into the song. Listen to the lyrics, folks. Love stinks. <laughs> Love stinks. That's right. That's what Fatty said. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. This and is then, the uh, Jay Giles band with Love Stinks. Yeah. Now, Scott, did you were you aware of this song before yes. Jay Giles became famous with Centerfold? Yes. 
because this this did hit the radio a lot. Oh yeah, it was, like, ni- it was like 1980. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a fan. Of oh Jay sure, Goss. I remember this a- absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know how much it was in like mass radio. I mean, it, it was definitely on rock radio. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was absolute for for me. There was it was no surprise when Centerfold came out there and was a hit just because i knew all about this band yeah what surprised me was that it was a little bit when they actually did centerfold was that it was different than their other stuff um yeah because love stinks um was was probably their biggest hit and comeback was another one that was pretty popular Mm -hmm. love stinks i remember hearing on the radio more comeback uh was something that i you know so yeah we knew we knew who jay giles was before because the moment in the movie when I'm seeing this for the first time, and I hear that opening drum beat, I mm-hmm. knew exactly what song it was and that's, what he was going to say. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, he gets about as far into the song as what we played, and then all of a sudden he turns around and he sees this fist. And it's the father of the bride. It's the father, and he just decks Robbie, and it now becomes a melee, out, and uh, the wedding is a, now officially a disaster. Well, and then one little part is, as Robbie's falling apart while he's singing... Uh, Holly, who's working the wedding, goes up to Sammy and said, you know, the, basically the guy's broken. What's he doing out here so soon? And, of course, Sammy's the guy that pushed him to get out there. And he's like, I have no idea. You know? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take the blame for any of it. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. So that's the end of that. And um, we now, we cut away from inside the wedding venue, and we now find Robbie inside the dumpster. Julia, the, the scene is Julia comes walking out to the back dock where they met for the very first time. And she just kind of peers into the dumpster. And lo and behold, there's Robbie laying in the dumpster. And so you know, at this point, we've learned that the police were there and taking uh, questions. And that, uh, you know, so evidently escalated quite a bit. And then, so now Robbie is back into feeling sorry for himself, even probably worse than he was before, and is, uh, you know, sitting in, in a dumpster of trash right. after, after a disastrous night. Right. So we then have the, the introduction of the, the next song, which is, I, I think... Well, I, oh, think it, I think it's important to, um, to mention that when they first met, and, and when Robbie, before he, Linda dumped him, that Robbie had promised Julia that he was going to sing at her wedding. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, it, and at this point, when he's in the dumpster after, after getting beaten up by the, you know, the uh, bride's dad, he comes to this decision that he's not going to do weddings anymore. It's too painful. He can't do them anymore. He hates marriage. And and Julia was like, "Well, wait a second. You you said you were going to do my wedding." And he's like, "No, no, no." And she's like, "Well, we're not going to be able to work together anymore." And he's like, oh, "I'll do the other stuff, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to do weddings anymore." Right. And we hear this song playing in the movie, which is of course the Thompson Twins, and one of the all-time classic songs from the 1980s. Yeah, and. I mean, the Thompson Twins were popular in the 80s. Yeah. I think they're getting a little bit more credit or a little bit more of their due when people are looking back and hearing their songs again. I think there's more of an appreciation of the Thompson Twins now looking back than maybe they were experiencing when they were, you know, of, of the retrospective looking back on bands from back in the day. Okay. I think they're a little bit more highly regarded than they were when they were actually popular. Oh, you think so? I think so, yeah. Oh, see, now, 
I, I was a big fan. So was I, and but I, you know, it seems like now you hear hear more of their songs get get played. I mean, they played at Live Aid. I mean, so they did. They, they yeah. were a big band. Sure. And this was this was a great song. This is you could argue and say this is probably their signature song. It is, and where I think if you were ever to come up, if if, if Scott and I ever sit down and we come up with the the quintessential soundtrack, I think for the '80s. Okay. Right. To me, this has to be on there. Okay. And this is one of the 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 songs that I think most identifies an era. Yeah, it really does. It, it does take you back to a time and a place. It, for me, this is uh, well, 1985. This would have been the summer of '85. So this was I was transitioning from middle school to high school that year. Mm-hmm. And this I was, was giving you all the pointers. Yeah, telling you what to get ready for. Uh, I think what I remember most about about that summer is this was a, a, a very popular song. My summer baseball team, we had a very long run into the postseason that that particular year, and I remember this was like one of the popular songs that was going on at the time. Right. But. So we we move into where once again Robbie's interacting with his nephews. And we, we find out that, that the nephews are giving him the word on the street. And the word on the street is that he's losing it. And he's, yes. he's, he's going nuts. He's going to end up in the nuthouse. And he, one of my favorite lines in the movie is, he's like, who says that? And like, everybody's saying it. Yeah, it's just, it's just the, the way that the kid um, just kind of shakes his head. And he's just like, everybody's saying it. <laughs> it's like, you're eight. Who do you talk to? Your parents? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's... You know, he's. I think now is where you start to see him slowly kind of climb out of his funk. Yeah, for the first time, he is. He is, and so we're going to go from that encounter with his his nephews, and then remember, well, we didn't mention it, but in the movie, at some point, Julia invites Sammy and Robbie to come to her engagement party. Yes, because at some point, which we didn't mention, because you know we're not we're not great <laughs> at giving every detail. Uh, Glenn finally says that he's willing to set a date. Yes. And that is kind of the way it's presented to Julia. And I think that's another reason why people aren't really, I think the movie's doing a good job of kind of creating, setting Glenn over as the villain and Robbie as the hero, because Glenn's like, yeah, you know, let's just elope and go to Vegas. And, but Julia really has her heart set on getting married with a proper, you know, traditional, you know, type wedding. And so Glenn has, has been the one that's been holding it up for, right. for all this time. And so he's finally like, you know, he goes to her and is, there's no romance to it. He's just kind of like, um, he's like, da, 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 da. you know, he's just like, hey, <laughs> we're going to get married. And so it's yeah. not like, hey. Would you like to get married on this date? It's like no, we're getting married on this date. So He's taking very, charge. It's very much a a, a uh, yeah, a top down type of approach. And you know, Julia is presented as a character that's almost sweet to a fault, mm-hmm. right? Because when Glenn initially says we're just going to go to Vegas, she doesn't say no. She just seems a little disappointed, and you know, because she, you know, can't bring herself to like you know say that's that's a horrible idea and then glenn basically says yeah you're going to be upset with me if we don't do the big wedding and then you know she's all happy that you can have the big wedding so one of the one of the previous scenes that that we find is that you know julia is also 
kind of hearing it getting in her mom is getting in her ear right and there is there is a scene where mom is dropping julia off at the wedding venue mm-hmm. where you know julia's kind of complaining about not getting a date set on the wedding and the mom's like well i know how you can get a date set yeah and basically tells her to fake a pregnancy. And at that same time, when you look out the window, there's a picture of Robbie and Linda. Yes. As is before their wedding. And it, and she goes to Juliet, well, you're prettier than her. Yeah. And she has a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, mom's not making her feel the best. No, she's not. No, she's not. But so as we, we go to the engagement party, which is at Glenn's big house that he has... We hear another classic 80s tune. Well, they're all classic 80s yeah, tunes are. on this yeah. soundtrack. This is Lamal and Kajagugu. Mm-hmm. Oh, too shy. I was actually watching a video that Rick Beato put out maybe six, seven, eight months ago, and it was his uh, like top 20 one-hit wonders okay. of the 80s. Yeah. And this song was on the list. I would agree with that. And I remember he said, you may not know the band, but you'll know the song. And I thought, who wouldn't know that this is Kajagugu? And but there probably is. He's probably correct. I guess, but... They might not know Ka- Salamal. Kajagugu is extremely rem- rememberable. You know, you can, you can easily remember that name. Sure. It stands out. Yeah. Whereas there are some other bands out there, eh, you know, one-hit wonders, they come and go. But you're right. I mean, this this is one of the greatest of the decade. What did you think of this when you heard it? Did you like it? I liked it yeah. from, from the beginning. Yeah. And this was kind of the second wave of videos that you and I had seen for the first time. This was the summer of 83. And... Yeah, we're veterans at this point. At this point, we've watched, we've logged <laughs> many hours on MTV. Right. But this was the next, this was my second compilation tape this was on my my second compilation tape yeah the first one was the one we talked about from 1982 mm-hmm. so scott you know it's the summertime scott's got a little more time when his hand schools out i made a second one and this was on that what else was on there um rick springfield it was the next album uh living in oz it had um was it from living in oz or, yes. or was it from success hasn't spoiled me yet no it was living in oz okay it wasn't Human Touch. It was the one that came out before that. Um, but Rick Springfield was on that. Eddie Grant was on that one. Oh, Electric Avenue. Uh, In Excess, The Real Thing. Uh, oh, The One Thing. The One Thing. Sorry. So that yeah, it was that it was that eighty three was Rio Duran Duran's Rio was on that. Okay. It was pretty, it was pretty good comp. Oh, you're gonna have to Naked Eyes. Always something there to remind me. Yeah, that was that was it was on. You were talking same same time period. Right, so we ha- we have Kajagugu playing in the background, and we we have Sammy and Robbie walking up to the house, and and Sammy is just decked out. He is wearing his <laughs> best Michael Jackson outfit that he has. Well, you know, Sammy is definitely the more successful of the two between him and Robbie, because he owns his limo business, so he owns the limo, and he's the only guy in town, so he basically gets every wedding, or it, it, when somebody needs a limo, they're going to call Robbie. And it's, it's, uh, so he is, he's got money. He's, he's got, he's got a little bit of success for a younger guy. He is the more successful of the two. So he can splurge on things like a Michael Jackson leather jacket and a, uh, a, a gold sparkly or not, not, but a sparkly glove, one glove. 
Yeah, I that one was a little little bit of a stretch because I I I saw people wearing the Michael Jackson type leather jacket, yeah. like the red leather jacket. Can't say I ever saw somebody somebody sport the rhinestone glove. I though. do think that I saw the the gloves at the mall. Okay, I, like really cheap. Okay, I I don't think I ever saw anybody wear one, but I I kind of half remember seeing them. Sure. So, but you know, it's Robbie or. Uh, you know, basically, uh, R- Robbie tells Sammy, you better take the glove off. He is basically looking silly. They go up. They talk to Julia. Um, Robbie, we, we kind of we meet Glenn. Glenn is with his drunk friend. And they're, you know, being a bunch of frat boys. Mm-hmm. Glenn is as, as Miami Vice decked out as you could be. And here's a song playing in the background that was not on the soundtrack, but just kind of lightly in the background. Yes. Yeah. And this is Lionel Richie. From all night long, yeah, from his uh, "Can't Hold Back" album, which I ha- which I found on vinyl not too long ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was a big Lionel Richie fan. I loved him in the Commodores, and then his solo career. Yeah, we Lionel Richie. You know, we talk about when people look back at time with the Tops of Twins. I think they get a little bit more credit now than they did when they were, you know, in their heyday. Okay, Lionel Richie deserves a little bit more credit now when you kind of go back and look at it because he you know, obviously had Prince, you had Michael Jackson we've talked about Phil Collins but you don't talk about other artists like like a Kenny Rogers or a Lionel Richie because those guys were they were all over the charts mm-hmm. around that time period and this this album was right up there for about a year with Thriller as far as one of the top selling albums of the year it, you know, I think we mentioned in our previous episode, but you know, Lionel Richie kind of got hurt by his own success. Yes. You know, he was he was like Phil Collins, where he was just everywhere, and no matter what he put out, it was going to chart. And the fact that it charted, it got played over and over and over and over again. There's a lot of people that probably in 1992 would never have admitted that they owned a Lionel Richie album. But he sold a lot of albums, so somebody bought them. Sure did, yeah. And, yeah, like I said, that's one of my one of my favorite uh, vinyl albums that, that I was able to purchase in the last year. I found it in a secondhand record store. So it, it pleased me when I went back and watched the movie, as I did last night for you folks out there, uh, that as I, I sat down with a notepad, as opposed to how I normally watch, where I just sit down with a bowl of popcorn and just kind of enjoy it. But <laughs> sure. this time I thought, okay, I want to like pay attention to the music that's playing. And I never really thought of Lionel Richie playing in the background. And one of the reasons why I thought it was of note and why I wanted to play it was that is exactly the sort of music that would have been playing in the background of an engagement party in 1985. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of smooth rock, soft rock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nothing super offensive. 